our podcast is brought to you by We Push Back. In the last few years, a certain genre on social media has been plagued with informants who misrepresent the truth to benefit themselves. They've gone unchecked for far too long. This smoke and mirrors routine is what has plagued the criminal justice system, resulting in many wrongful convictions. We Push Back is about bringing attention to these informants who have little regard for the truth and offering a voice to all those impacted by their lies. This website will work as a united hub, bringing all related information to one portal. We Push Back. Welcome back to A View from Mulberry Street. I am Matthew J. Mary, your host. We're going to continue this very same subject about famous mob hits. Part two, what comes next. Okay, Joe Colombo. He was shot in Columbus Circle on June 28, 1971. What do I have to do with that? I was there. I was one of the many, many people who were, in fact, uh, part of the rally for the Italian-American Civil Rights League, which, by the way, was a great, great organization and a great idea. That story could probably be told in a separate episode, the Italian-American Civil Rights League. Um, The story of Joe Colombo has its roots way back in the 1957 shooting of Anastasia uh, and Costello. Apparently, According to many, many books, many informants, Joe Bonanno and Joe Profaci didn't like the idea that Albert Anastasia had been killed. Profaci died in 1962 of natural causes, and his supposed successor, according to the history books, Joseph Magliaccio, continued to make plans against the so-called commission. All right. Colombo, according to the history books and to the informants, revealed that plan to Carlo Gambino. Agliaccio died of natural causes. History books tell us that Joe Colombo was now the so-called boss of the Profaci family. The media proclaimed that the Profaci family is now the Colombo family. And remember my episode, The Name Game. These name things aren't just coincidences. They're not 100% real nor ever 100% accurate. But the government uses the name game so that they have an advantage in court over certain people. So they were after Joe Colombo. And so the Profaci family, as they called it, now becomes the Colombo family. Get it? The name game. The name game is an important tool of the government that enables them to prosecute Italian-Americans differently than they prosecute other people. So according to the history books, Joey Gallo continues to be a divisive force. And most people believe that Joey Gallo, who had fought with Joe Profaci, now sends a man who happens to be a black man, Jerome Johnson. People and the FBI proclaim 
that Joey Gallo sends this guy to shoot, to kill Joe Colombo. There are a lot of people who think that that's not the real story. There are more people out there, dead and alive, who actually think that the government of the United States was behind the shooting of Joe Colombo. Not Joey Gallo, but the government. Me? I have no opinion. I don't know what happened. And I'm not accusing anyone or any organization of anything. Mr. Colombo was a vegetable until he died on May 22nd. 1978. The saga continues. As we reported in previous episodes, including our episode with Joe Bruno, Crazy Joe Gallo was spotted on Mulberry Street out inside Umberto's restaurant after uh, celebrating his birthday at the Copacabana. And On April 7, 1972, a spectacular hit was made. Joe Gallo was shot inside Umberto's, staggered outside onto the street, onto Mulberry Street, and died. Much speculation and false claims have been made as to who killed Joey Gallo, like who killed Jimmy Hoffa. But Joe Bruno's book and the federal law enforcement agencies all seem to agree that the shooter was the late Carmine DiBiase, also known as Sonny Pinto. Someone that I knew all my life and knew well. In fact, Sonny Pinto is responsible for me meeting Junior Persico in 1968 when I was 18. And for that, I'm forever grateful. And I really mean that. Things were quiet for a while until July 12th, 1979. That's when Carmine Galante, also known as Lilo, was assassinated in the backyard of Joe and Mary's restaurant in Knickerbocker Avenue in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It was a spectacular murder in the broad daylight. I knew his so-called bodyguards well. And I knew many of the dozens of people, dozens of people were accused falsely of being involved in the Carmine Galante murder. Believe me, if, if you're a lawyer and you see the, the charges and against whom they were all made, it seems like everyone in the world was in on killing Carmine Galante. I knew Carmine Galante well, like his supposed rival. Philip Rusty Rustelli, uh, he was like an uncle to me. Both of them treated me like a nephew. And I could tell you, you know, when Carmine Galante died, I felt pretty bad. But that's the way the ball bounces, you know, out there on the street. There, they are main streets out there, and, and that's for sure. Finally, Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti. I met Paul a couple of times while I was on the commission case. The government said he was the hand-picked successor by Carlo Gambino. Carlo Gambino was 
I believe, Paul's uncle. And I believe, in fact, they were kind of cousins somehow. They all came back from the same uh, place in Italy. I happen to know one thing about Paul through people who knew me well and knew him well, that he started out in life as a butcher, a real, a real butcher, like his father. He was a major force in the meat industry, not only in the world of chicken. You know, Frank Perdue used to come to Paul Castellano when he needed to know anything about chicken. If Frank Perdue had some kind of problem, he would go to Paul, and Paul knew all the answers. History books and Sammy the Bull report that this double murder, the murder of Paul Castellano and Tommy Bellotti, was carried out um, on the streets outside Sparks Steakhouse. Christmas shoppers were shocked and shaken by bullets flying all over the street. In midtown Manhattan, Christmas shopping season, December 16th, 1985. I remember seeing it reported on the news. It was a shocking event. It was spectacular. And some pretty ugly pictures of Paul and Tommy laid out there on the street. A new era began. Law enforcement was gleeful. They were going to make a lot more cases. The criminal defense lawyers were happy to a lot of money was made. Much has been written and told about the feud, about the feud between Paul Castellano and Angelo Ruggiero, about Angelo Ruggiero's tapes from his narcotics case. A lot has been said, reported by Sammy the Bull, others, uh, that there was a serious, serious situation brewing, and that John Gotti was in danger of losing his life after Anilio de la Cruz died. But there is another theory, very, very rarely repeated. And that theory is that Tommy Bellotti was actually the main target of that assassination because Paul Castellano was at that time a defendant in the commission case. And most of his co-defendants wound up being convicted and sentenced to 100 years to die in jail. So you might say at that time, Paul was headed for prison. And uh, he wasn't going to be on the street much longer Anyhow, now, if we want to talk about blood, of course, we could talk about the wars, the Gallo v. Profaci War, the Gallo v. Colombo War, the Arena v. Persico War, which many people, many people call the Arena against Persico War, actually Arena against Greg Scarpa and the FBI. Yes, the FBI was involved in that war. They were backing Scarpa and giving him information 
about who he might have to kill. Yes, it's not Matthew Mary. I would not say this. This is in books after book after book, okay? 302s, everything. Greg Scarpa was working with the FBI from the late 1950s, and yet he was out on the street committing crimes, <laughs> committing crimes, and even murdering people. And at the end, Greg was actually involved in a war against Vic Orina, not to be confused with Vic Amuso. Vic Orina against Greg Scarpa. That was that war. That was what it was about. And the FBI was in on it. I mean, there's no two ways about that. Okay. What else can we talk about in, in terms of blood? Ah, you know, there was in, the, in what they call the Bonanno family from 1963 to 1967. It seemed that we go back to that year. We go back to 1957. And Joe Bonanno, supposedly, and Joe Profaci were angry that Albert Anastasia had been killed. And Joe Colombo, they say, all right, exposes the plot by Bonanno and Profaci to go against the so-called commission, to go against the other so-called bosses. Well, Joe Bonanno gets called to a meeting, and Joe Bonanno decides he's not going to any meetings. Joe Bonanno refuses to go to the meetings. So what happens? Supposedly, according to the history books, the other four families decide to approach the members of his family and tell them, we're not going to recognize Joe Bonato anymore unless he gets out of here. And so a war ensued from 1963 to 1967. Eventually, Joe Bonato retires and goes to Arizona and lives to be 99 years old. Good for him. Then there was the assassination of Carmine Galante, which we spoke about. And there was the War of the Captains in 1982, when two factions in the so-called Bonanno family began, began fighting. That's reported to us by Donnie Brasco, which was his infiltration of what he calls the Bonanno family was a big deal. And it was a big problem. And people got killed. Because of Donnie Brasco. Tony Mira got killed because of Donnie Brasco. Sonny Black, Dominic Napolitano, got killed because of Donnie Brasco. So, you know, as Jimmy Durante always says, everybody wants to get into the act. When it comes to mob murders, the FBI doesn't sit on the bench and just watch. They have an active part and a little bit of blood on their hands because that's the way they used to play the game. And they played that game against Italians, and now that game is played against everyone. And I've been talking about that for years. It's You start with the Italians. You say, oh, they're the mafia. We have to use special tactics on them unlawful tactics. We have to create new ways to put them in jail. Yeah, the RICO Act. We've got to sentence them uh, to time in jail that's so extraordinary. 100 years for everything. Life without parole for everything. 
Guys, old men now, in their 80s, having served 30 years, all right, sick, sicker than sick can be, and they're still in jail because the FBI and the Department of Justice decided that they have the authority to treat Italian-American defendants differently than any other defendants. And people said nothing. People ignored it. People didn't care about that. Yeah, good, 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 good. And then it spread like cancer to these tactics are used against everyone, everyone. And now it might be too late to turn the clock back because much of this misconduct is lawful and has been lawful for a long time. And we won't get justice back in America until we have the courage to change the laws that were made, you know, for organized crime. They're not only used for organized crime, they're used for regular people too. So that's the purpose of this broadcast. And uh, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up, we hope. Maybe we're going to do shorter stuff. Um, Maybe we're going to do shorts. I I don't know. But um, I can tell you that we're going to talk soon about mob folklore, which is really, really government folklore. That will be an episode very soon. So for now, this is Matthew J. Mary, and this is A View from Mulberry Street.